If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 712. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. I've talked about it all week. Got the new class out, McClanahan Academy Live. You're going to want to pick that one up. You can also buy all my on-demand courses there, which are fantastic, over 20 of those. And that keeps this podcast free of charge, plus you get great content. You can also click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way there, or click on the super thanks button under the video if you're watching on YouTube, that little heart under the video, click on that. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Leave a review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube. That helps the algorithm, gets people listening to it, watching it. Those are all important things because we need more people thinking locally and acting locally. I talked about it yesterday. If we're going to teach the Constitution, which way do we teach it? How do we teach it? Do we teach it like a bunch of raging leftists? or the West Coast Straussians, or do we actually teach it properly? And so it's not enough to say we need a holiday of Constitution Day. What does that actually mean? Uh, this is, I mean, it's, it's a lot, it doesn't have any meaning at all. The Constitution is just, I mean, you can interpret it however you want to interpret it, unless you really know, right? So that's the important thing. You got to get more people listening to this show because this is the way, this is how we do it. This is how we talk about thinking locally and acting locally. This is how we talk about decentralization and federalism. These are the things that are important moving forward. We have to talk about these types of things. All right. I'll wrap up the week with a with an essay that Paul Gottfried wrote in American Greatness. Uh, somebody emailed me the other day and said, we need to have a more, you know, I need to write for American Greatness. Well, they would never let me, but number two, uh, that's number one. Number two we do have Paul Gottfried writing for American Greatness. They do they do allow Paul to write for them, which is nice. Um, and you know, Paul has tried to reach out. There's been there's been some type of uh, you know closing the chasm a little bit between the Straussians and the non-Straussian conservatives. Though I would think it's it's not really closing the chasm. The Straussians really don't don't care for the non-Straussians too much. Uh, they think that they're crazy, and of course, this is you know, Michael. Well, we got it. We got to fight the left first, and then we'll worry about all this other stuff. But if you're basing your positions on false realities, then even when you win, you're still in a dangerous situation because you've let the left in. You can't. You can't do that, right? So if you're not in line with the Federal Republic, with this very decentralized Jeffersonian view of America, which of course was Calhoun's view. Nobody in the Straussians wants to talk about Calhoun as being great. They just want to blast Calhoun. Then, uh, then you're lost from the beginning. This is why principles and foundations matter, right? So we have to talk about those things. Now, this piece by Gottfried gets into something that was we discussed on Tuesday, which was this debate, essentially, without facing each other between Hegman and, and Cheney. 
over the future of the Republican Party. And of course, the Washington Post is all on board with this. But what they want is Cheney's Republican Party, and they want Cheney's Republican Party because then they beat that one resoundingly. Look, 2012 is a nice example of this. Cheney's Republican Party was running for president that year. That was Mitt Romney. Or 2008. Cheney's Republican Party was running for president that year. That was John McCain. That's Cheney's Republican Party. And that Republican Party loses to Democrats every single time. The Republican Party that doesn't lose to Democrats, if they have good candidates, is the Make America Great Again Republican Party. That Republican Party blasts the Democrats of smithereens because it is a real American party. And it's not just the Democrats' light. It's a real opposition, and it wins because people like what they have to say about things. That Republican Party is effective. And so this is why the Washington Post, the New York Times, all the establishment, I mean, they're love Liz Cheney right now. They love George W. Bush, even though they called George W. Bush all kinds of names. But George W. Bush is really one of them. I've said this since 2000. I, you know, I don't know why uh, 2001. I don't know why people didn't like, the left didn't like George W. Bush. He's one of them. He's one of them. George W. Bush is a progressive, and they do love him. They just didn't like him when he was in power because, well, they didn't have the kind of power they wanted. And Bush will say some funny things at times. He will kind of you know, act like a conservative and blast the left at times. But George W. Bush and his foreign policy was a disaster. I mean, it's neoconservative foreign policy. It's Wilsonian. And Bush was never interested in shrinking government or being a real conservative. He's polished. He's good on the camera. He's... Uh, he is what uh, people would think of when they think of you know the Republican Party and being formal and all these things. And of course, Bush, you know, when he was running, they always made fun of him. Uh, you know, his folksy style and at times his Texas. He's from Texas, which he really wasn't, right? He's from Connecticut. But um, the fact is, you know, Bush was blasted for being too much of a hayseed or whatever the case may be. But look, Bush was always a Wilsonian progressive, always. So. When you look at this debate between MAGA and the moderates, and that's what this piece is about, and in fact, the title of the piece by Paul Gottfried is uh, Moderate and MAGA Republicans. The point is, we've got this debate now that's, that's really coming to the fore between moderate and MAGA Republicans and how this is going to work out for the future of the Republican Party. We are still fighting over the soul of the Republican Party to this point. This has been ongoing since 1992. And you can even say before that, this was Reagan and uh, George H.W. Bush during uh, 1980 when Reagan was uh, first nominated for president and George H.W. Bush was put on the ticket to appease what would be you know, the leftist Republicans, the Rockefeller Republicans. George H.W. Bush was always seen as a leftist. Always. It's just now, well, he's conservative. I mean, you want to see how much the left loves George H.W. Bush? Well, of course, that is. Uh, look at what happened when George H.W. Bush died. And you had John Meacham stand up and make a great eulogy with George H.W. Bush. Deliver a great eulogy. I mean, these people loved the state. They loved George H.W. Bush because he represented that, and he wasn't Ronald Reagan. And Reagan had his own issues, right? But this debate about who's going to run, who's going to control conservatism in America, whatever that means, conservative ink, as Paul Gottfried calls it, 
who's going to control that, will continue to be a major part of the American right because you have essentially leftists disguising themselves as per- people on the right and they try to box out the real, the real right-wingers. They try to box out the real conservatives in America all the time. By the way, I want to apologize. Last week, I've had a last couple of weeks, I've had a sinus issue, and it's coming through at times. I'm I'm working on trying to get rid of this stupid thing, but I've had a sinus issue, and it's hard for me to to breathe at times. So I do apologize if there's any of that in this podcast or previous podcasts uh, as I'm going through that process and trying to get this uh, sinus issue, this infection, taken care of. So uh, I do apologize for any kind of uh, you know any kind of noises that I normally don't make on the podcast. So this piece begins, a recent New York Post editorial excoriated Chuck Schumer's political action committee for backing MAGAite Don uh, Bolduck over moderate GOP Senate candidate Chuck Morse in the New Hampshire Republican primary. This is obviously a cynical attempt by the Democrats who help right-leaning Republicans win primaries so their Democratic rivals could beat them easily in November. The presence of such electoral opponents, moreover, would lend credence to Joe Biden's attacks on MAGA extremists. Indeed, the unsettling presence of real Trumpites on the ballot, according to the Post, would give the Democrats an issue to run on on absent any real accomplishments by the president administration. So this is, I mentioned this before, you know, the Democrats pull some games. And here we have Chuck Schumer backing a MAGA Republican over the moderate Republican because thinking that the Democrats would roll over the MAGA Republicans. I'm not not certain that's always going to happen. The idea that moderate Republicans, and this is New Hampshire, so New Hampshire is different, right? New Hampshire is New England. But the idea that moderate Republicans are going to win over conservative Republicans doesn't always work out. Or that moderate Republicans will beat Democrats doesn't always work out. Now, if it's a radical Democrat, someone who's far on the left, maybe a moderate Republican would do that. But I'm not so certain that's the, that's the case either. I mean, I think that the MAGA Republicans, if they're good candidates, are going to win because the statements they make about you know, American independence, American you know foreign policy independence, domestic energy independence, we're having you know we're having discussions about uh, America, uh, America for Americans. These are things that Joe Biden has stood up and said. We're going to have America. We're going to have American industry, American jobs, buy American, all this stuff. It's what the MAGA message has always been. It's nationalism, right? And so Americans do generally gravitate towards that. I, I have problems with it because it ignores the reality of American government. But I mean, as a cultural identity or a cultural uh, uh, position where we want to support Americans and American-made industries and American-made companies and Ameri- you know, American-made products and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, in foreign policy, we want to be non-intervention. That's the key. You see, if the president, that's the only thing the president should really be worrying about is uh, what kind of foreign policy are we going to have. Are we going to have an aggressive foreign policy or a foreign policy that's not aggressive? These, these are things that are important moving forward. So we're going to be an internationalist, a globalist, or someone who is interested in, uh, in non-imperialism, right? Non-intervention. Clearly, however, there is more than one reason the Post and other vehicles of moderate republicanism are scolding the Democrats for promoting figures on the populist right. Even if Republicans like Bulldog in New Hampshire, Blake Masters in Arizona, and Doug Mastriano running for governor in Pennsylvania win their respective races, they still won't be on the same page with those who now disapprove of their candidacies. For the Republican center, 
A disqualifying charge raised against MAGA candidates is that they were election deniers or were known to be such in the past. This, according to the Post, is why the very vulnerable New Hampshire Senator Maggie Hassan would lose to the moderate Morris by two points, according to the University of New Hampshire poll, but would edge out Bulldog by one point. So the moderate Republican, because Bulldog was an election denier, the moderate Republican would win over the Democrat, Maggie Hassan, because they're moderate. Now think about this. It's three points we're talking about here. Uh, the, the moderate win by two points, and the MAGA Republican would lose by one point. That's a three-point swing. That's in the margin of error. So this is what Gottfried says. He says, of course, I have no idea why Bulldog couldn't easily surmount a one-point deficit running against a collapsing Democratic incumbent. He is certainly within striking distance seven weeks from the election as the Democratic administration in D.C. careens from one disaster to another. I mean, why wouldn't that be the case? And I think, look... The MAGA message is not going away. It's not Trump. Tying it to Trump, and this is what Biden was trying to do. Look, MAGA is all about Trump. It's not. And if you're astute enough, you know that. Trump was a messenger. Trump was a messenger of, a, of, a, of something that had been brewing at that point for 20 years. Now going on 30 years. Really 30 years this year, right? Pat Buchanan's speech in 1992, 30 years ago, was the launch of MAGA Republicanism in many ways. That's what it was. Now, I mean, there were people that were talking like this before that. Don't get me wrong. But on a large scale, it was the launch of all of that. And Pat Buchanan was right on. The culture war was something that was important in 1992. Nobody recognized it yet. We were still too concerned about, you know, I'm not going to raise your tax. Now, all that stuff's important, right? Banking is important. The financial situation in the United States is important. The culture war is also important, though, because Americans don't like what they're seeing out of the left. And if you can paint them as radical, ridiculous radicals, they often lose. Look at Glenn Youngkin. All he had to do was talk about schools and critical race theories in schools and what it was going to do to schools, and he won because he capitalized on a culture war issue. And Republicans should take that as an omen. If you will do this, you can win. Is this what you want? Do you want these kind of people in your schools teaching your kids? Is that what you really want? Well, we can take care of that. Do you really want this kind of stuff, this anti-American stuff that people often talk about? Now, I mean, I, I've talked about the 1619 Project, and if you believe in the Proposition Nation, they're actually right. But is this what you really want in your schools? Do you want these things? It all comes down to the schools, right? This is what you really want. Is this the, is this the image of America that you want to portray? Or do you want something else? And you know what? That message often wins. It doesn't always win, but it often wins. Equally open to questions is why we should give the boot to a Republican candidate for having questioned the official results of the 2020 presidential election. There are certainly multiple grounds for re-examining that event, which uh, contributors to this website have laid out in exhausting detail. I've also noticed the usual moderate suspects leading, lacing into Democrats who have stridently challenged Republican electoral victories. The invention of the Steele dossier and the propagation of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax were attempts pushed by leading Democrats with the assistance of the corporate press and the Secret Service to undo an election they had lost. In comparison to their utterly unscrupulous Democratic counterparts, Republican election deniers have been relatively reserved. 
If Democrats have equated all Republican election critics with those who broke into the Capitol on January 6th, that is hardly the fault of Republican candidates who are now running for office. Well, this is that would be consistency, right? I mean, uh, there's no accountability for the left. This is the problem. There's no accountability for the left. Nobody holds them accountable for all their stupid positions, all the stupid things they've said, all the stupid things they've done, all the, all the dangerous and violent things they've done. Nobody holds them accountable because they have cover. The idea is to hold every Republican accountable for any bad thing they've ever done, but the Democrats all get a free pass. That's the point. That's the way it works. That's the system. So calling out the culture war and being on the culture war is actually a good thing. This is why people like Trump, because he fought back. This is why people like Ron DeSantis, because he fights back. He goes to a press conference and, and shouts, down the, shouts down the reporters and sticks it in their face. This is what people want. They finally want somebody who's not going to just roll over and say, Oh, yeah, well, you got me. Oh, what you're saying is right. And, and bend a knee and apologize. They don't want it anymore. There was a... Adam Carolla had made a statement about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about how, well, I mean, if any, if she was if she was not attractive, essentially, nobody would listen to her. And, oh my gosh, the left went nuts of that. And he said, I'm not apologizing for saying that. If you apologize, they expect more out of you. I'm not going to say that because he thinks it's true. You know, the, the attractiveness of people in office does mean something. I remember back in 2004 when it was Bush, Cheney against uh, Kerry and Edwards, right? And uh, one of the things, John Edwards of North Carolina, one of the things that he said was a selling point was that they had better hair than Bush and Cheney. They were better looking, in other words. You should vote for us because we're better looking than Bush and Cheney. Image matters. These people know it. It sells, right? You have an attractive candidate. Well, I mean, this is what you see on the television. This is what you get in your consuming your media. How many, uh, how many of these people that work for Fox or CNN or any of these places are really unattractive people? They just don't exist, right? I mean, some of them, but uh, most of them, particularly the, the women, are, are, are going to be attractive because that's what sells. That's what gets people watching the shows. So in this case, what Cortez is asking a question, if she wasn't attractive, would she really be that important? You've got other members of the squad that don't have the same profile. Why? Because they're not as attractive as AOC, right? So, I mean, people don't pay much attention to them. They pay more attention to AOC. He's just making a point. And, oh, you should apologize for that. Why? Why should you apologize? But this is what happens. You have to bend the knee. You have to bend, oh, I'm sorry for saying that. No. I mean, if you believe it, then say it. And then don't apologize for it. And that's I, I admire Corolla for doing that. But again, it's accountability. You know, if if uh, normally, I mean, Corolla's going to be uh, got to be held accountable for what you say. But Democrats can do the exact same thing. There's no accountability. There's nothing. Election denying, however, may not be the strong suit for Republican office seekers right now, and the best approach may well be the one Mastriano has taken in my state, which is hammering on the bad economy, open borders, and surging crime rate, and promising to protect our enormous energy industry. Like other populist Republicans, Mastriano, a longtime vocal election denier, seems to have turned the page and now stresses with regard to the 2020 election the need to make sure past irregularities do not occur again. Mastriano is prudently pivoting away from his known views of the 2020 election, given the negative reaction that could en uh, engender among our state's electorate 
But those who hope to check the Biden administration should not scorn candidates who are election deniers. Such figures have shown a fighting spirit that is desirable in resisting the left. So uh, Gottfried, of course, who lives in Pennsylvania, is saying, look, I, you know, Mastriano has said, OK, well, let's focus on the irregularities, try to clean that stuff up. And the Democrats know it, right? This is why they're trying to do things in the Congress to make it to where states can't do this stuff. Right? They know that all the irregularities out there help them. They know that what they've done and the things that they've put in place in Georgia, for example, help them because they know they can, they can essentially uh, use the system to win and they can do things that are pretty shady but not illegal. That's the issue. They can do things that you would say, ah, you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't be able to take a whole stack of ballots and stuff them in a, in a, in a drop box, right? Everybody should have to go vote in person. This is how it's always worked. You shouldn't be able to just to have all these ballots delivered uh, unless you physically, physically are not in the state. You shouldn't be able to absentee vote. You should have to show up at the polling place and go vote. And, and that way you should have multiple polling places so people can do that, right? But you should have to show up to vote. There shouldn't be any of this uh, uh, balloting or, or voting from your chair and you sent, give it to somebody and they go, and you shouldn't have election year. You should have election day. You shouldn't have like three, three, four, five months. I know already I'm hearing the ads in Georgia. Well, you can already vote. You can already vote for the Georgia election. Go vote now. Go vote now. I mean, it's, I started hearing this in August, right? Go vote now. Voting is open. We don't, the election's not till November, November, but voting is open right now. Go vote. Why are we doing that? Well, because it helps the Democrats, because they know the Democrats aren't going to get up out of their chair. They're not going to get away from what they're doing and go vote on election day. They're going to, they're going to go, uh, they're, they're, if you give them, you know, five months to vote, they'll eventually vote in that time period. And that, that, so these are, these are horrible things to do. You need to have an election day. Because a lot of things can happen in five months. What happens if your candidate dies in that time? Well, all those votes are invalid. What happens if some major thing comes out and somebody does something really stupid and you've already voted for that person? Well, I mean, this is why you have an election day. I'll give you an example of that. The Crawford candidacy in, in uh, 18, uh, 1824, right? So when you had uh, William Crawford had a stroke, I mean, this, this caused problems. Or, you know, 1872, when you had Horace Greeley die, I mean, these these things happen. So this is why you have an election day and not an election month or election five months or election half year. You have an election day. That's what you have. So then Gottfried says, this brings me, brings me to my main point. Do we really want the Republican opposition to the Democrats, especially why Biden is swinging away at MAGA semi-fascists to beg for a return to bipartisanship? Well, no. But this is what the Democrats want. You see, this is why they write the piece about Abraham Lincoln, uh, Grant Cheney, because they want her. They want Mitt Romney. They want Susan Collins. This is what they want. They want the people. And Biden's out. Let me know. There's Republicans. Come to me, man. They said, man, I, I would vote for you, but I can't, man, because I can't do it, man. Come on, man. We got to do this, man. I, I've worked with Republicans. You work with like six, because those are the six that are the that are the moderates, and they'll go along with the Democrats. This is what the Democrats want. It keeps them in power because they know these moderate Republicans are not really going to block anything they want to do. 
Why do we want bipartisanship? We don't want that. You want a real opposition. Of course, we want real federalism because real federalism is better for the United States because a lot of these issues, as Republicans have pointed out, for example, after the Dobbs decision, are state issues. This is the whole point of it, right? So Gottfried says, I would think the occasion calls for exactly the opposite. There is value, for example, in having someone like J.D. Vance take the place of moderate Republican Senator Rob Portman in Ohio. Vance will replace Amy Klobuchar's favorite Republican with someone who is likely to become the bane of Klobuchar and other Senate Democrats. Portman, by the way, has fought for years for a bill that would federalize gay marriage, an action that has made his Ohio moderate, this Ohio moderate beloved to other moderates quite popular among the LGBT crowd. What about the constitutional right residing in the states to decide such a matter as gay marriage? Well, let's see, Gottfried has that as an aside. He's, at, he's talking about federalism there. Of course, we know that because of the Supreme Court in a distortion of the 14th Amendment, this is going to be very difficult to do. But we really, this is what Clarence Thomas brought up in his concurring opinion with the Dobbs decision. We need to re-examine all these 14th Amendment issues because they were argued incorrectly and they were decided incorrectly. This is a distortion of the 14th Amendment. This is a state issue. But it's just like, you know, the Lindsey Graham bill uh, that's now where 15 Republicans have signed opposition to it uh, after the Dobbs decision saying that, uh, well, this is incorrect constitutionally. They're right, right? I mean, these issues cannot be federal issues. They are state issues. And if we are consistent in these things, that's what it has to be. Now, I did see one piece on Graham's bill we talked about, well, this is a genius move by Lindsey Graham because he's making it now that the, the accepted Republican position would be, of course, abortion up to 15 weeks. And that would be something that would be tolerated by most Americans. And you paint the Democrats as the real radicals because they want something beyond that. So who is the real, the, the real party for the moderate opinions of America? And this is what they think Graham is doing here. But again, this is an issue for the states. It always has been. It's what the Dobbs decision decided. And Graham's bill would not change that because it would come back before the court and the court would just reaffirm what they already said. You can't do this. It's, it's a stupid position. That's why 15 Republican legislators are on the right side of this and saying this, is, this has to go to the states. It's the correct constitutional position. It's what Paul Gottfried is saying here about Portman and his, and his uh, marriage bill. He concludes, if there's any reason that races are closer this fall than they should be, it's that the Republican candidates are being gravely underfunded by their PACs, as Kimberly Strassel points out in a recent column. While vacuous or radically woke Democratic candidates are being flooded with hundreds of millions of dollars courtesy of coastal elites, Republicans are lacking the necessary funding to wage effective campaigns. Strassel points to the underfunded Blake Masters in Arizona, who should be able to overtake struggling Mark Kelly for the Senate, but who has barely enough funds to stay in the race. This, and not the supposed lack of moderation among Republican candidates, is the main obstacle to a victory over the Democrats in November. So Gottfried concludes it's because of money that they're not winning. It's not about message, it's about money. Um, I would say that, you know, there's, there's some of that. I think that Republicans are being bludgeoned with this MAGA stuff because that's what the media is allowed to happen. And, and the Democrats are brilliant in attaching Make America Great Again to Trump, and it's, not, it's all about Trump and not about anything else. If you, if you support these... These positions, well, you're just a Trumpist. Uh, they've been brilliant in attaching those two things. But at the end of the day, um, I think he's right about this. The, the real issue here is, why do you want moderate Republicans? Why do you want Abraham Lincoln, Grant Cheney, 
You don't need her. You don't need that. Right? What you need are real, principled conservatives. If you're somebody who is on the right to and, and look uh, running on these issues, not moderates. This is something that's been do we want moderates? No, moderates lose. Moderates lose. Think about in the, particularly in the modern age, moderates lose every time. Moderates lose on the right. They can win on the left, but they lose on the right. So this is where you have to actually have people saying enough, and we're going to run, uh, you know, on a on a platform that's uh, you know, not moderate. We're not going to give the Democrats anything, and that's what they need to be doing moving forward. All right, and they need to run a real federalism too. That's important. Okay, so. Uh, hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next week. See you then.